That's what whiteness studies is about. It's about outing your whiteness. You can say you're not white. You can pretend you're not white. I'm not saying you're doing that, but the world still treats you as white. And if I were to say to you right now, Christopher, what do you like about being white? What would you say? <laughs> I don't know. I, again, again, such an amorphous term. It's like a census term or a. a, a but, but can, can, can you do me? Term. Indulge me. Indulge me for. Just we're running out of time. Indulge me for a minute. I understand you see it as as all these things, but you surely recognize that the world sees you as white. You know the world reads you as white. And if you were to ask me some things I like about being black, I could talk about cultural norms. I could talk about tradition. I could talk about the kind of commonalities I feel around the diaspora. If I were to ask you what, particularly if you're saying whiteness is a thing that is being constructed as negative and shouldn't be, name name something positive that you like about being white. Well, sure. I, I you know I'll, I'll answer with a, with a, a thing there. There's a lot of documents that are floating around public schools that say things like uh, timeliness, showing up on time, is a white supremacist value or a white value, white dominant value. Things like rationality, things like the enlightenment, things like uh, you know uh, uh, objectivity, and uh, these are very strange things to be ascribed to a racial identity. My view is that these are actually should be ascribed to every individual human being. Every individual human being, regardless of whatever racial category we impose on them. Well, that, doesn't, that doesn't answer the question, though. You, you're, you're, telling, you're, tell, you're, you're telling me you're making straw men about things that are ascribed to whiteness that you think are wrongfully ascribed to whiteness. I'm saying if whiteness isn't a negative thing, and there's something that you actually, and that whiteness actually shouldn't be constructed as all negative, name something positive about being, that you believe is positive about being white. Again, I, I don't buy into the framework that the world can be reduced into these metaphysical categories of whiteness and blackness. I think that's wrong. I think we should look at people as individuals. I think we should celebrate uh, different people's accomplishments. And uh, again, I think the idea, you, you mentioned Ignatiev. Ignatiev says the goal is to, quote, abolish the white race. Um, in any other context, this would be interpreted as a near genocidal slur. I don't buy into it. The reason I'm not going to answer your question is I reject that categorization. I think of myself as an individual human being uh, with my own capabilities. And I would hope that we could both judge each other as individuals. Uh, and uh, come to common values on that basis. Fair enough. I, I would argue, though, that the the luck that the ability to say I don't see race. <laughs> oh, how hard is it to answer a simple little question? My God, how hard is it to answer a simple little question? He just asked a very very simple question that anybody that's that's three years old, four years old, five can answer. What does he like about being positive about being white? Well, since he wanted to go around the mulberry bush, since he did not want to directly answer the question, and I'll explain the reason why he didn't want to answer the question directly in just a moment. But he talked about things that, you know, his hope and his desire that they see us as individuals and not as black and white. You know, my answer to that is simple. In a perfect world, you would be absolutely right. We would see everybody as individuals and not off based off of the color of our skin or the family we grew up in or the neighborhood we come from. Martin Luther King said it in the I Have a Dream speech in 1963. I have a dream that one day my four little children will be living in a land where they not be judged by the color of their skin, but by the content of their character. That was that was 50, almost 50 years ago. We're still being judged by the color of our skin. 
We're still being judged. We're still being stereotyped by the color of our skin. Okay. And Brother Hill, for all of he, I had to give it to him. He was very, very patient with this young man. But how hard is it to answer a very simple question? He said, if whiteness is be constructed as a positive, then what name one positive thing there is about being white? It's a very simple question. Just answer the question. And the reason why he couldn't answer the question, well, at least he couldn't answer the question directly, is because if he were honest with himself, there's only one answer that he could give. There's only one answer that he has to give to the question. There's only one answer. And since he didn't want to tell you the answer, I'll give you the answer. Name the one positive thing there is about being white. It all breaks down to one word, privilege. Simple as that, privilege. Because every white person knows, well, at least white people in authority positions know that being white comes with privilege. It's just like the American Express card. You know, back in the day, the American Express card membership has its privileges. And the truth of the matter is not everybody can qualify for an American Express card. You have to make a certain amount of money. You have money over a period of time, and it has to be documented to get an American Express card. Keep in mind, American Express card is not a regular credit card. It's a charge card. So if I spend $1,000 on that credit card, on that card, that $1,000 is due. You don't break it down into payments. Ain't no such thing. That thousand dollars do right then. Homeboy couldn't answer the question because if he were to answer that question in the proper context, he would have to openly admit to Mr. Hill and everybody else that's watching and listening that the number one positive of being white is privilege. Plain and simple. There are privileges that come with being white. That privilege has been passed down from generation to generation to generation. Along with everything else that come with that privilege have been passed down from generation to generation. You know, there are certain things that you could do as a white person that a black person or a brown person better not even try to do. Or at least think they could do. I'll give you a couple of good examples. And you, you don't have to look too far to prove that point. Let's look at, here's a couple of cases in point. Let's talk about that kid that shot up two, shot two people in Kenosha, Wisconsin. Walked through the streets with a shotgun. Loaded. Police see this kid walking down the street with a loaded shotgun. Don't even look at his direction. Don't even bother to talk to him. Don't even ask him, what you doing carrying that shotgun? Who you trying to shoot? They don't even question him. 
I guarantee if it was a black man with a shotgun walking down the street or a brown person with a shotgun running down the street, I guarantee he'd have the whole damn police force crawling up his behind. Because they they gonna automatically assume he done shot some people, killed up some people, robbed some people, whatever the case may be. Being white means that you could go in there and do the you could do commit crimes and get a slap on the wrist that if a black person were accused of would get life sentence for. Case in point, Brock Turner. Brock Turner was a student. At, the, at Stanford University in California. He was accused of raping a, a drunken girl at a bar in broad daylight. Okay? There was another student in around the same time, the same year, was accused of supposedly raping a girl at a party in Texas. Okay? Both of these were aspiring college students. Both of these men played sports. Both of these men were tops of their classes. What's the difference between the two of them? Both of them were charged with the same type of crime. One got six months in jail. The other one got 20 years in prison. What's the difference? It's real simple. Turner, the guy I told you about in the first picture, was rich and white. The other guy that went to Baylor was a poor kid that came to Baylor on a college scholarship. So while Brock Brock Turner is out of prison, is out of jail, don't have to register as a sex offender and can do whatever the hell he wants to do, this kid won't see the light of day till for another 15 years. And when he does get out, he's gonna have to register. He didn't want to say it. That's proof. What I'm saying is proof positive. Okay, here's another one. Perfect case in point. Let's give you another one, just in case you're wondering. <laughs> I mean, this, I could spend hours doing this, but I'm not going to indulge that. I'm going to respect the time and just give you simple examples. Perfect example, look at... uh uh um. I don't even know where I want to go with this. Oh, yeah, I know where to go with this. Let's look at a guy by the name of Roman Polanowski. Roman Polanowski, in 1971, was convicted of raping a 12-year-old girl. While they were waiting to sentence him, they let this man out on bond. He skips the country. He's been on the run since 1971. Damn near 50 years. FBI, nobody's out going after him because he's in a country where they don't have the, the, the what they call it. It's, it's some kind of compact where people from other countries can't take turn people into the states. You got a known sex offender on the run that's been on the run for damn near 50 years, and yet you got a guy by the name of Bill Cosby who won't be released from jail for another eight years, who's 83 years old and blind, 
who was accused by one woman of supposedly knocking her up with Quaaludes. Supposedly. Why isn't Paul and Roman Polonowski locked up? And why is and why is Bill why is Bill Cosby locked up? Again, if you white, there are things you can get away with. If you're white, you could walk into a church, shoot up nine people. Don't get harassed at any kind of point in time and end up getting, and you even get treated to a burger and fries before you go to the penitentiary for the rest of your life. Whereas you have a little black kid that has a toy gun and gets shot up dozens of times. And the killers who did it get walk away clean and even get to go back to work and become police officers again. That's what privilege is in this country. He didn't want to say it, so I'm going to say it. The one positive about being white is privilege. Privilege is you could take, you could t- use the labor of other races to your wealth, to build your children's wealth, to build your children's children's wealth, and don't have to cop the other party for anything they've done, and yet make them try to build their worlds. And then when they try to do it, you destroy it. That's privilege in a nutshell. But he didn't want to say it. And you know the reason why he didn't want to say it? It's because it's the truth. And um, white people hate the truth. America hates the truth. We don't want to deal with truth. Truth hurts us. America runs from the truth like Superman runs from kryptonite. When, 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 when truth comes, we're like, oh, no, truth, get away. Tell me a lie. A black lie, white lie, green lie, purple lie, polka dot lie, a, a multi-stripe lie. Just don't tell me the truth. He didn't want to say it because he knows. He knows. That's the reason why he, that this particular guy in this particular uh, video hates critical race theory. Why so many white men, scared white people, are trying to keep the 1619 Project out of schools. They're desperately trying to cut funding from schools who teach them about what really happened because they the truth told. America hates the truth. White America hates the truth. Sad to say, some black folks hate the truth. Because if they were to tell the truth, it would force them to examine themselves and to be real about themselves. They don't want to face it. Racism has been the monkey on America's back from the time of its inception. Yet America wants that monkey off its back, but you keep running to it. You keep running back to it. You don't want to face the the monkey. You don't want to get rid of the monkey. So you rather try to find your way around the monkey, yet you're stepping in this poop all the time. It's the elephant, the proverbial elephant in the room. You know it's there. You feel its presence. But you rather not acknowledge it. He didn't want to tell Mr. Hill the truth. 
but Mr. Hill and so many other black folks like myself already know what the truth is. The truth is America would not be America without the, the, the forced labor of indigenous men, women, and children. That's what the truth is. It eliminated, it, it eliminated every opposition to it. The Indians, there used to be millions of Indians in this country before colonists came. When the colonists showed up, the Indian population was wiped out almost to 10% to less than 5% in less than 125 years. And what few American Indians are uh, that are remaining are scattered throughout Oklahoma, well, most of them. I'm not saying that they're not all in all states, but the majority of Indian folks now live on reservations in Oklahoma and in, in Arizona. That's where your Indians are. You got scattered other scattered ones in other places, but the majority of concentration, you got where it used to be millions of Indians, now it's just less than 10% of them, of the population. Well, not even a good 5% of America's population is Indian. They did the same thing to the Japanese. When America was in World War II, Japanese Americans ended up in internment camps. They're doing the same thing to Hispanics now. When, when, um, when America finds someone that they're scared of or threatened by, they either enslave them, torture them, or destroy them. That's the truth. And as I said before, America has profited directly or indirectly off the labor of black people. That's the truth. That's the, the raw, uncut truth that they don't want to deal with, that they don't want to face. And if he told the truth, Mark Hill already, Mark Lamont Hill already knew what the truth was. We all know what the truth is. The one part he talked about, well, these things it can be ascribed to any race. And we needed to look at people as individuals. Like I said, the perfect world, that would be fine. But it's not. My goodness, they're just so scared. America is so scared of the truth. They are so afraid of the truth. And the only way they can be, but they don't seem to get the fact that the only way healing can take place is if the truth comes out. You can't keep running and hiding from the truth. You can't keep running around trying to go around it. I don't think there's a person on the planet that wanted slavery to take place in this country, but it took place. We didn't want slavery. We didn't ask for slavery, but it happened. We didn't ask for gentrification, Jim Crow, segregation, lynchings, police brutality. These things happen. What happened in Tulsa in 1921? What happened in 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 Rosewood in 1905, what happened in other parts of the South? 
all during the time of between the time of the end of slavery all the way up to the current date, they happened. If you really want us to get over it, the first way it's going to get over is to start with acknowledgement. You have to accept the fact, hey, this is what it is. And let's start making positive steps to fix the problem instead of running around the problem. The answer to his question, the true answer to his question is he is benefiting indirectly from racism. He is the he is indirectly benefiting from slavery. Whether he accepts it or not, whether he realizes it or not, is really irrelevant. But that's the truth. So now that we know what the truth is. What are we going to do about it? What are we as black folks and brown folks going to do about that? How are we going to fix the problem? The only way that we can fix the problem is to keep putting the pressure on. We got to keep putting that pressure on congressmen and legislators and, and, and people in power to keep the 1619 project in. Teachers that have the authority they need to, to know what the truth is and teach that truth, whatever that, what, no matter what the cost is. Because America hates the truth and will do everything in its power to run from that truth. But it's the only thing that's going to set America free is the truth. Whether they believe it or not, whether they accept it or not, whether they respect it or not is irrelevant. But if America wants to be healed from the wounds of the past, slavery in particular, there's only one way. And that's to face an uncomfortable truth that white privilege is real and that white people of every generation have been have benefited, whether directly or indirectly, off the labor of black folks, off the destruction of Indians and other indigenous peoples. When that fact is acknowledged, then and only then will America really see healing in its country, in this in its land. Until that time happens, you're gonna always have people like this that are constantly in the now. But then that means you're gonna need us. People like us, not only to, to remind them of what the truth is, but to apply the pressure that is necessary to ensure that that truth comes to the light. That's what we can do. We can do that as parents with the things we teach our children. We could do that as teachers with the curriculums we teach. We can do that as a people and help raise up the next generation to see the light and not walk around blind as we are currently. Follow me on Instagram and Twitter at WhoIsRugRant. There's more to this, but I just had to tell you the truth. You know, I mean, you might not like it. You might not want to hear it, but it's still the truth. Anyway, that's my time. Y'all have a good night. God bless Big Mel, who is Rugrat. I'm out.